You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. The Catholic Psyche Podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended to take the place of medical or mental health treatment, therapy, or diagnosis. You should always consult a trained mental health or medical professional for such treatment. Hi, I'm Deacon Basil. Today is Monday on the Catholic Psyche Podcast, and on Mondays, we answer questions which are submitted to us on our website uh, at thecatholicpsyche.com. If you'd like to submit a question for us to answer, please feel free to go to the thecatholicpsyche.com webpage and look under the Contact Us page. We will then answer your questions as we are able to in, in time. We do have a number of them at this point, but please feel free to do it because we are always interested in answering people's questions. Today we have a very straightforward question, um, but it is something that has given me a lot of pause. The question is, do I need to forgive and forget? And I think what is so uh, challenging about this passage for me is that in our cultural American culture, we have this concept of forgiving and forget about the past wrongs that have happened. And actually, I think in some cases, that can be a very good thing. In other cases, based off of what we see in the news recently or, or all of the other things that might be going on, forgiving and forgetting is not a realistic or appropriate thing. So what is the difference? Well, I think in order to understand what forgiveness and forgetting might be, we have to understand them in their original terms. In biblical understand, a biblical understanding of forgiveness means to untie someone. And it's usually done in relation to debt. I untie the person from the debt that I have tied them with. You know, I, I lent them money and they are now bound to repay it. And this concept of untying uh, the debts that I have received is, is within a scriptural understanding of how God relates to us as well as how we relate to other people. By my sins, I am tied in debt to God in the sense that I have transgressed his law and therefore I must for, uh, I must receive forgiveness I must be untied from those those sins I must be untied from the result of that God forgives me God unties me from that and that's a pretty interesting way of doing it so uh, of of understanding it that confession sacramental confession is how we are untied from the debts that we have due to our sin so how does that relate to our relationship with other people? Because I think the question itself gets back to how do I understand this in my own life? How do I forgive and forget in my, or do, should I forgive and forget in my own life? And I think what that means is how do I have a relationship with someone moving forward? So I want to start by saying in, in this regard that simply forgetting about past trauma that someone might have inflicted on us, forgiving, uh, forgetting about past uh, horrid things that have taken place, forgetting about that is not a realistic response. If you're in an abusive relationship and you simply forget or strive to forget the ways in which we, you've been abused by this person, that can be a real sort of psychological mind game that just leads to more abuse. If you're in a, a negative uh, relationship with, with someone, you want to be open and honest with yourself so that you can seek help. You know, just because we brought up abuse, there's a recent study out that I think it's like people, particularly women, will wait seven times 
before they actually do something. They'll be abused seven times before they actually do something. Forgetting those is not something that I think we can we can strive to with any real psychological certainty or, or appropriateness. So what then does it mean? Is forgiveness just simply a assent, a kind of concept that, oh, I just forgive them and that's it. I just say that I forgive them, but really all I'm doing is just holding them bound just saying that they're untied. And I think that's a, a really interesting question too. This concept of forgiveness in the scriptures is actually always tied to repentance. In the classic example um, that is done, Christ says in Luke 17, uh, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he wrongs you seven times in one day and returns uh, to you seven times saying, forgive me, you should forgive him. Now this is really interesting because then it always links between the concept of forgiveness with repentance. Give us, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It is this idea of this is a process that must first come from repentance. And I think what's interesting about this is if we look at the Greek word for repentance... That Greek word is metanoia, metanoia. And what metanoia means is to change meta, right? To change metamorphosis, to change one's form, to change meta, to change noia. Noia comes from nous, which is the Greek word for intellect. But the intellect is also in the heart. Metanoia means to change one's mind or to change one's heart. So repentance when someone comes to us for forgiveness, they should be in a state of changed mind. Now, what does this mean? How do we repent from our past wrongs? Do we just simply say, uh, forgive me and I'm going to go about my business? No, before forgiveness can take place, we have to change how we view ourselves. And I think from the cognitive model of cognitive behavioral therapy, we've talked about this before, but the concept of the cognitive model is that I have the, these automatic thoughts that come before I react to something. So a situation comes, I have this automatic thought, and then I react to it. So for example, you have this situation. We always use this example in the Catholic psyche, but it illustrates the point so well. You have the situation of getting cut off on your way to work. Your automatic thought is, how dare this person cut me off? And the reaction is anger. Right? But it could be the same it could be the same situation, but a different automatic thought. Get driving to work gets cut off. Automatic thought. That person's exiting to go to the hospital there. Reaction would be empathy. Where do these automatic thoughts then come from? They come from a core belief or a belief that we have about ourselves. In that case it might be I am superior to everyone else. How dare they cut me off? Which then flows from that core belief that we have. So it's this process of saying, I have to identify and change my mind. Repentance means to change one's core beliefs and to put them into a proper understanding, a proper place. Now, that's not something that just happens, and that's not something that's very, very easy to do. In fact, it takes a very long time to really repent in deep ways, and that's why the church is always calling us to repentance. That's why we have the fasts. In the East, we have four. In the West, we have two. But we always have these fasts of times of deep repentance to change our minds on things. And we fast and we pray and we give alms and we do all of these works 
of the fasts, of these times of repentance, so that we might change our mind. And only after that point, and perhaps it's something as in the scriptures can be done seven times in a day, but only after that point, in a deep state of repentance, are we able to then come to God or come to each other and say, forgive me. I, I, I have changed my thoughts. Forgive me. And then from that can flow this forgiveness. Forgiveness. And I think we can see that if that core belief, that core belief has been metanoid or metanoid, then you're able to see that there is not the likelihood that this is going to continue to move on. We do have these common behaviors that we might have, or they're negative, you know, patterns of behavior that we get into. But that process of saying, I must, I must change this core belief, and then forgiveness can flow from that, is really a beautiful thing. Part of the way in which we seek this metanoia is through confession. And I've always really loved the idea of, of you know, when I'm in the confession line, I always love how I see all of these people. And it's like, you know, these people are doing the hard work the very hard work of coming to the Lord and changing their hearts, changing their minds. Now, there are certain things. I mean, I'm not naive enough to think that there are, you know, that this is an easy process or can be done in every situation. Again, situations of past abuse, past trauma, past, you know, the way in which people might interact with each other, you know, that this is an extremely difficult process. And I'm not suggesting that you have to repent from the abuse that someone has perpetrated against you. I want to be very clear about that. You don't have to repent. That is a necessary step for the person who has do, done the wronging. But then it is a process of then coming and saying, I have, uh, you know, I forgive you because I see that your heart has been changed. And I just really quick want to say that I think that's what when God says in the Old Testament, I will take away your stony hearts and I will give you new hearts of flesh. I will take away those core beliefs, those negative core beliefs that you have about yourself, those negative thoughts that you have about yourself, those negative understandings, and I will give you a right view. I will give you a right view of yourself. Then repentance can flow. Excuse me, then forgiveness can flow. Now, how is this concept of forgiveness, or excuse me, of forgetting the past problems? There are things. I mean, I think it is probably better to simply forget those minor inconveniences and annoyances when you forgive them. If your spouse does something that annoys you, then perhaps forgiving and forgetting that is just fine. That is perhaps a good way of doing it. But also, we have this schema of the way in which we understand people that needs to constantly be updated. If someone has harmed me, I have a negative schema of them. And then I have to update that schema, that understanding of who that is, with positive things moving forward. Now, we know this from a psychological perspective within the Gottman model, which says that there needs to be a certain ratio of negative to positive interactions. You know, if you go too far with positive interactions, it's like this isn't human, right? If you have 10,000 to 1 positive interactions with someone, that becomes inhuman. So you need actually that kind of balance because you're a person. And the person you're married to is a, uh, is a person. And the person you work for is a person. And the person and your children are people. And the people at church are people. So there will be negative things. So we're not always looking to make everything perfect in every interaction. But there needs to be a positive to negative interaction. 
And what's that scientifically found um, ratio of that? Well, it's five to one positive to negative interactions, right? Five to one positive to negative interactions. So if you have wronged someone in minor ways, perhaps your spouse, if you got into an argument, it is probably worthwhile to look for those kind of positive interactions that you might have. Make coffee in the morning, you know, walk the dog, go out for, uh, you know, go out for ice cream. I don't know what it is. Look for those positive interactions. But the one important thing about this is don't be sitting there going, okay, well, I'm at four. I just have to look for one more positive thing. And then I'm going to really zing my wife. No, we don't want to do that. We want to look for positive and also, you know, positive five to one positive to negative reaction uh, interactions. That might be coming home and giving your wife a kiss. That might be coming home and, uh, and paying attention to your husband before paying attention to the kids. These are all ways in which this might might take place. So it's it's a concept here of there needs to be positive to negative reactions and then that leads to an understanding of an update of the schema which then allows for us to mitigate those negative experiences based off of the positive ones. We're not falling into what we call negative sentiment override where we have this concept of someone and everything they do no matter what makes them a bad person, right? I, you know, everything they do makes me focus in on them in, in bad ways. So even if they're doing positive things, they're doing bad things in, in, that, in this overwhelmed person's mind. Forgiveness then is a process and it's long and it's hard and it does require a change of heart for the forgiving person as well. But it is a different kind. And I think it's a process that takes perhaps a lifetime. If this is something that you struggle with, then I think it's really important to look towards therapy or look towards ways of interacting in with, uh, with other people that you are able to, to slowly move towards forgiveness. It might take a lifetime, but it might also be something that, that can be worked on in therapy. And maybe even just calling a therapist and asking, you know, like, what do you think about this? What do you think about my situation here? Is this something that therapy might be able to benefit? Could be really good. So that's at least the way I see it. Forgive and forget, somewhat. <laughs> Not always. If you like what you hear here, hear here. If you like what you've heard and what we're trying to do here at the Catholic Psyche, please give us a like down below. Rate us on uh, iTunes or on SoundCloud. Give us a comment. Makes us know, uh, lets us know that we're appreciated and doing what we're supposed to be doing. If you want some other questions, go to thecatholicpsyche.com and look at our at our contact us page. It's been a pleasure. This is Deacon Basil. God bless you.